So uh, we've just come out of our series, Australian Gospel, where we've been sitting in the book of Mark, trying to just look at some truths that we can learn from Jesus and his teaching around what it is to be good news and to be good news people. Now, we're going to spend a couple of weeks before I go on break uh, for a little while, and uh, we hand it over to some other guest speakers. So we've got a couple of weeks here to look at Luke chapter 6, and uh, really the big thing behind it is all around who we are becoming, who we are becoming as people. And this beginning passage that we're going to look at sort of sets the scene so that anyone who ever says, I want to follow Jesus, we know what we're getting ourselves into. This is one of the things which is just helpful to remind ourselves. If you have been following Jesus for 50 years, if you've been following Jesus for a week, uh, whether you're still trying to figure out whether Jesus is someone worth following, this passage gives us sort of a, hey, you want to follow? You want to, you want to come and sit at uh, Jesus' feet and learn from him and, and come to see who he is and what he's about? This is a little bit of what's in store. And compared to where we're just sitting saying, hey, over the last few weeks, the Australian gospel is more for me doesn't matter about my decisions, you know, forget everybody else as long as I'm happy. What we look at here is, uh, is sort of upside down to how our culture is telling us we should or deserve to live. I love Siri or Google or whatever. So that's what we're going to be doing. So who watched the grand final yesterday? Was anyone there? You were there. Wow. Fortuitous, but you were there. What was it like? That's the, yeah. <laughs> That's right. And I mean, as West Aussies, if you go for free, I go for Essendon, so I got no horse in this race. Um, but Western Bulldogs and, uh, and and the Demons, it's just sort of like, eh, whoever you go for. I went for Western Bulldogs, right? And I was thinking like half time. I'm like, come on, boys, come on. And then the second, the third quarter happened. And the fourth quarter happened. And then by the time it got to about 100 to 50, whatever it was, I was sort of like, cream them, cream them. There's something satisfying about a really big win. If you're going to lose, lose with style. Like, let's just see this happen. So it was quite fascinating. The reason I bring that up is uh, as I went for the Bulldogs and uh, my daughter, once she figured out what the scores meant, started to go for the winning team. Um, and then Ezra was with me. Ezra's like, who are you going for, Dad? I'm like, I'm going for the Bulldogs, son. And he's like, I'll go for Bulldogs too. And Zalia goes up to it. I leave the room. I come back. And Ezra's like, I go for Melbourne now. <laughs> what, what changed? They're winning. <laughs> okay. Zalia. Anyway, the reason I bring that up, growing up playing sports, I was always on the losing team. I don't know about you. Like some of you may have tasted, I've tasted a, a victory in the finals one time in my whole sporting career. Apart from that, like we were, we were middle. We were average. T-ball, soccer, volleyball, basketball, cricket, tennis. It didn't matter what I played. I was just average to below average. Now, I enjoyed, I enjoyed playing on the teams and stuff. But if I was in it to win it, I had a terrible sporting career growing up. Because I just never won anything. It was just used hockey. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Let's not list the sports of failure. So when I was growing up playing sports, this is what my dad said to me. It really stuck out. He said that, son, it doesn't matter about winning or losing, right? It's about enjoying yourself and doing the best that you can. So I always enjoyed playing my sport, no matter, what, no matter what it was, because for me, whether we won or not was secondary. For me, what mattered was playing the game well. 
And the formational thing that I remember so clearly, especially playing cricket, because you stand out there for hours and you lose. If winning is your one and only objective, you're going to live a hard life. But for me, what I remember growing up playing sport was it wasn't about winning. It was about who I was becoming in that sport and doing the best that I could. And I learned from an early age that if I focused on who I was becoming rather than the result, I would have a lot happier time. And I did. I enjoyed my sports because I went into it going, how can I do the best that I can do? Jesus has chosen his team. That's what we have here in Matthew, uh, sorry, in Luke 6, verse 12. He's chosen his team. So before this, Jesus has been walking around. He's been healing people. He's been teaching amazing teachings that people go, who is this guy? He's been baptized. He's just walking in the spirit. Everything's happening. And now Jesus has come and he's actually selected the people he wants to do life with on a really close level. And here we have, I'll read it out to you again, Luke 6, verse 12. Jesus chooses his team. One day, Jesus went onto the mountain and prayed and prayed to God all night. Now that is so important. Before Jesus went out and just went, you, 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 and you, what did he do? He prayed. He spent time retreating. He spent time considering. He spent time thinking through and going to God, who is it that I should be choosing? He made sure that proximity to his father was first and foremost on his list before he got to decision-making and picking his team. He went in there thoughtfully. At daybreak, he called together all his disciples. So at this point, there's a few disciples, and they're all there. And Jesus has gone away, and he's prayed, and everyone's there nervous, and the disciples are all amongst each other, like, who's he going to pick? What's going on? Who, who, how's this going to land? Like, did Jesus go to them and say, all right, guys, 12 of you are going to journey with me. I'm going to go pray about it. Or did he just say, wait here, I'm going to pray, and then he just dropped it on them? I don't know. I don't know which one's the kind of one to do. But he came out there, and he chose his team. He chose his twelve. Now, the other disciples still followed, and we read, and it fluctuates as to who is following Jesus. But from this point out, these 12 are the ones that he just does it really just like close proximity stuff. You know how like um, when you're really good friends with someone and say they're like high up in a company and you know that their employees can't get to them, right? Because like they may have, you know, if they're healthy people they should have boundaries in place so that they're not always contactable is my point but as a friend if you call them up they'll always answer you you know that thing that's what it's like with Jesus like Jesus is going around doing his ministries loving on people loving on people but these 12 have access to Jesus which is just if they call out he will answer no matter what Jesus is the one who is just doing life with them really really closely now let's go through that list again these are the lucky uh, 12 that were picked out Simon, who was named Peter, not to be confused with Simon, who was called the Zealot. Two Simons. I mean, he could have at least picked everyone with unique names. It doesn't matter. Andrew, Peter's brother, worth mentioning. James, John, Philip. Now, Bartholomew is the funny one because if people haven't read the Bible closely and haven't paid attention to the 12 disciples, Bartholomew? What a strange sounding name. All I can think when I think Bartholomew is, who's seen Spaceballs? Anyone? Yeah. Anyway, there's a character on there called Barf, and he's like, what's it short for? Bartholomew, and it doesn't matter. Um, that's all I can think of when I think of Bartholomew. That and Bart Simpson. Uh, Matthew, Thomas, James, another James. I mean, come on, Jesus. Simon, Judas, not, not the, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, not to be confused with each other. So there we have it. Jesus has spent all night praying, and he's got his disciples there, and he says, you 12 are the ones. Let's journey together 
purposefully, slowly, intentionally. Let's do life together. 17. When they came down from the mountain, the disciples stood with Jesus on a large level area, surrounded by many of his followers and by the crowds. There were people from all over Judea and all over Jerusalem and as far as north from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and be healed of their diseases. And those troubled by evil spirits were healed. Everyone tried to touch him because the healing power went out from him and he healed everybody. So Jesus has named his team. And the first thing that they do together is a bunch of people come and he starts to heal and be with people in a really nice and beautiful way because he's able to meet them at their point of need. But then Jesus turned to his disciples. And here is the part which is very um, crucial for you and for me. 2,000 years later, we stand quite a gap from this story. We stand at quite a, a, it's quite a reach to reach back 2,000 years ago and to really be in the world of Jesus. But I, when I read this, I read it like he's looking at me. He's turning to his disciples and he's about to say something crucially important. And I don't believe it's just for the people at that time. I think he's looking down through history to you and to me, for those of us who follow Jesus, and he's looking us in the eye and saying, here's something that's important. Verse 20, Jesus turned to his disciples and he said, God blesses you who are poor, for the kingdom of God is yours. God blesses you who are hungry now, for you will be satisfied. God blesses you who weep now, for in due time you will laugh. What blessings await you when people hate you and exclude you and mock you and curse you as evil because you follow the Son of Man? When that happens, be happy. Yes, leap for joy, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember their ancestors treated the ancient prophets in the same way. Now, I don't know about you, but for when I stand right now in my point of history, with everything the world has told me thus far, that does not sound like a blessing. Because growing up, I was told, you can do what you want. Growing up, I was told that if I'm allowed, if I have the capacity to get it, I should be able to consume it. Growing up, I've been told within my culture that success looks like being rich, being well-fed, being well-connected, and having people speak well of you. So when I read this, you are blessed, you are happy, you are, have, there's a divine thing around you. Because of the opposite of those things, my brain starts to go, well, wait a second. God blesses the poor. Now, I'm not poor. If you live in Australia, which we all do right now, um, if you earn over, I can't remember what it is now, it's like $30,000 or something a year, um, or may, might be 40, I'll go to the higher one, uh, you're in the top 1% of the world's wealth which is just nuts to me and crazy that we are in the top of the world. Not only that, we have access to services and things which people can only dream of. So when I think that I'm poor compared to, if you want to be in the top 1%, I've Googled this before, if you want to be in top 1% of Australian earners, so for those of you ready right now to find out if you're in the 1% or not, uh, you need over $3.5 million a year to be in the top 1%. So I'm poor compared to that, obviously, but when I look around at the resources I have access to, I start to think I'm not actually that poor. And if I fall into a really bad situation, there is a lot of safety nets within our society and our country which can catch me 
before I really hit true poverty. And when the word poor is being used here, it's talking about people who have nothing. So if you look at the Greek um, and, how they, and how they break down different words, poor can be broken down into like different levels of poor. So when we say a poor person, a person without wealth, a person without money, um, we have to then use adjectives, adjectives to describe it. The word that's being used here to sort of say poor is to say someone who has literally nothing. They have other words to say like poor as in status within society or you have a little bit but not a lot. They have a few ways of describing poverty. But this is saying, blessed are those who have nothing. For the kingdom of God is yours. Then it goes, blessed are you who are hungry. Blessed are you who are hungry. I eat a lot of food. Hence, me. I don't often go hungry. I have access to a lot of food in my life. And one of the ways, I've said this before and unashamedly, one of the ways I enjoy living is when I'm able to have a good meal. My Nell and I were blessed enough to get to go out for a, a little mini baby moon before baby comes. And uh, we went and we stayed at this little alpaca place where they had like all these alpacas watching us. And it was so fun to just stare at them. I don't know what's going on in an alpaca's mind. It's not a lot. But like, they just stare, chewing with their little front head little fro thing. And we enjoyed it. We ate out every meal we could because I enjoy eating food out with those. Now I went back the next day and went, I'm never eating like that again. <laughs> Not good. And then have since had more salads and things. But point being, food, I love food. I enjoy it. It's a social thing for me. But he says, God blesses you if you're hungry now for you'll be satisfied. God blesses those who weep now for in many times, for in Due time, you will laugh. And this one here, which I feel needs to be clarified. What blessing awaits you when people hate you and exclude you and mock you and curse you because you follow the Son of Man? Now, the reason I just want to clarify this one, not because you're a jerk. If you're just being a jerky person and people do not like you because you just don't love people well, that's on you. He's saying, Blessed are you who people look at you and because of who you follow, because you say, I follow Jesus, because of your proximity to the Father and your proximity to the Holy Spirit, because of that, if people look at you and mock you and curse you, they say you're blessed because you're going to act in a way which aligns with Jesus' heart for people. Be happy, leap for joy because even the ancestors and prophets were treated this way. All right, so that's blessed. All right, Jesus, thank you. What happens if we're not blessed? Well, okay, sorrow awaits you if you're rich. Oh, no. Sorrow awaits you if you're fat and prosperous now. Oh, no. Sorrow awaits you if you laugh now as we are laughing. Oh, no. And sorrow awaits you if you're praised by the crowds, if people love you, if they speak well of you. Because the ancestors also praised false prophets. All right, now it brought us to a point of going, yay, Jesus. All right, now let's unpack this a little bit. Jesus has just formed his team to go out into the world to proclaim the good news. The kingdom of God is coming. He's going to die and rise again. And he's getting his people around him to instill as much life on life as he can. So that one day when Jesus leaves and gives us the Holy Spirit, there are people who remain who are able to go, I know what it's like to follow Jesus. That's what he's doing here. And he starts off with his gathered team by setting out the ground rules. This is who we are to become. 
Now, there's a little bit of a, um, I read this in a, in a commentator, I think it's very helpful. There's a bit of a, um, what do you call it? There's a link between Jesus calling out his 12 disciples and when God called out the 12 tribes. So if you remember back to the Old Testament, if you've been around the Bible for a while, if you haven't, then I'll just um, try and explain this best I can. When God first called out and he set out the 12 tribes and he set his relationship in motion through um, through the forefathers who went before in the Old Testament, the way he started the relationship was through a treaty, was through a treaty, a covenant, an agreement to say that I will be your God and you will be my people if we live in this relationship together. An equivalent for today is marriage. You get married and you say, I'm going to live with you. You exchange rings and say, this is a covenant between you and me to say we are going to stay together no matter what. The covenant God made with his people he made an agreement to say, if you live in this way with me, you will be blessed. But if you act this way, then it's not going to work out for you. Jesus gets his 12 together, and it's almost like he's making a covenant with his new people to say, hey, we're going to journey forward together. We're going to be a team. We're going to do this life on life. It's going to be amazing. Here's how it is going to look. And the disciples will be sitting there going, oh, because when God made agreements back here, and they would know their Torah and their Old Testament, when God made agreements back here, if we do what's right, we get um, rewarded. If we live in relationship with God, there's a promise of land. There's the promise of prosperity. There's a promise of children. There's the promise of ongoing relationship. And Jesus comes up and says, if you do well here, you're not going to have any money. You're not going to be well-liked. You're not going to laugh. Um, and, yeah, come on. And I can imagine the disciples sitting there. They've witnessed the life of Jesus. At this point, they can't say there's nothing special about Jesus. They've seen him heal. They've seen him do miracles. They've seen his teaching. They've witnessed his life. Just the fact before they chose him, he went away and seriously practiced the art of solitude and silence and presence with his father. They see how he lives and go, if God was a man, this is who God, how God would act. Big thunder. And then Jesus comes out and says, by the way, this is who we're going to become. If you follow me, we're not going to end up really wealthy. If you follow me, we're not going to end up being the coolest crowd in town. If you follow me, there's going to be some heartache. If you follow me, there's going to be some tension between what you want and what God wants for you. If you follow me, it's just not going to look like the life you desire from a worldly perspective. But if you follow me, the kingdom of God will be yours. If you follow me, you will have access to your heavenly father in a way that you did not have before. And if you follow me, I will form you to become a person who's more concerned with the other than with yourself. So if you want to go out there and you want a happy, prosperous, rich, always laughing, no hard times life, Following Jesus is probably not going to get you there. One of my only gripes with health, wealth, prosperity teachers is that they like to promise a lot of good for you, 
when when I look at the words of Jesus, he seems to say that the road ahead may not be so comfortable. And there's a lot of good within the within certain parts of our church movement. But to say that if you just follow Jesus, your life will be sorted out, smooth roads, no problems. Who's experienced that? Anyone? From following Jesus, has your life just become abundantly, amazingly awesome? Or has it become just full of this rich depth of peace and patience, but you've had to learn it through hard relationships, through family, oh, family. You've had to learn it through co-workers. You've had to learn it through your kids. You've had to learn it through your spouse. You've had to learn it through maybe not having a spouse. You've had to learn it through, through all these different ways. And you go, I am happier. I am peaceful. I am more content because I followed Jesus and I've experienced his grace in my life. But by goodness, it is not how I thought it would go. It didn't go the path I thought. I've ended up in a place of deep purpose and deep richfulness. But mate, if I could go back to my old self and say, hey, you thought following Jesus would make your life easier? It makes your life better. Absolutely. Easier? Not in my experience. And everyone I've talked to, there is only one person actually, and this happened recently. There's only one person that I've heard of, and this is a secondhand story, but I couldn't believe my ears when they said this. There's only one person I've ever heard of um, who said that since they followed Jesus, they've never had any doubts. They've always known that he's present with them no matter what. And that life has actually gone 100% better for them. And they followed Jesus for 60 years. And I don't know what blessing is on that lady, but that is amazing. And that's the first time I've actually heard that, that that is the case. Because everyone else I talk with, following Jesus has been worth it. Absolutely. But it's been hard. You've learned patience, but how do you learn patience? by waiting. You've learned how to care for the other person, but you've actually had to look at your own view of the world and you've actually had to understand how can I understand their world view. You've got peace and contentment, but it has come by facing tough circumstances, loss, grief, uncertainty and doubt. And Jesus has got his team together and says, we are going to become people who may not have everything in this life. We may not be the talk of the town in this life. We may not have every hope, dream, and desire met in this life. But what you will be rewarded with, the kingdom of God, that is going to be worth it. But if you're going to follow me now, team, if you're going to follow me now, and I, again, I believe he's talking to us through the passage of history, LBC, if you're going to follow me now, it's not going to be the good, awesome, healthy, wealthy, prosperous life. But it's going to be a life of deep intimacy, deep relationship, deep proximity, and love. Love that looks at a person in a different circumstance to you. And regardless of their age, their race, their background, their upbringing, whatever view they hold, we're able to look at that person with love because we know how much Jesus has loved me. It means that when we have an opportunity to use our wealth and our excess wealth, because we've all got bills to pay, I get that. I'm not, it's not saying go and give everything away so you cannot live. What it's saying is when you come to a point where you have excess wealth and you've got the decision between what will make me happy or having a kingdom impact in someone else's life, we go, well, what would Jesus do if he were you? Well, he'll probably take that excess wealth and go, well, I've got more than I need. I want to manage it well for the kingdom. A kingdom thing to do right now is to release that into the, another space. 
We'll talk about this next week because I believe next week is Jesus' toughest teaching to actually follow. Um, If you've read ahead, it's the love your enemies, even when they're not nice people. But Jesus says, look, if you follow me, I'm going to form you to become someone who doesn't look at the world's way of richness, blessing, but actually I'm going to show you God's heart for his world. And his heart for his world is that you live a life of purpose, intimacy, proximity, and love. And that brings us to the end of that passage. I want to read out um, something from Tom Wright. And it's just helpful in remembering uh, or sort of summing up this little section here. I'll read it out in its entirety. And then we're going to finish off with a song and then we'll close in prayer. talking about the Beatitudes. He gave them clear orders as to how his vision of God's work would go forward. Four promises and four warnings presented in terms of Israel's greatest scriptural codes, the book called Deuteronomy. There were long lists of blessing for those who obeyed and curses for those who didn't. These formed part of the charter, the covenant, the binding agreement between God and Israel. Now with the renewed Israel formed around him, Jesus gives them his own version of the same thing. And a radical version it is. It is an upside-down code, or perhaps Jesus might have said, a right-way-up code, instead of an upside-down one people had been following. God is doing something quite new. As Jesus had emphasized in the synagogue in Nazareth in chapter 4, he is fulfilling his promise at last, and this will mean good news for the people who haven't had any in a long time. The poor, the hungry, those who weep, those who are hated. He blessed all of them. Not that there was anything virtuous virtuous about being poor or hungry itself, but when injustice is reigning, the world will have to be turned once more the right way up for God's justice and kingdom to come to birth. And that will provoke opposition from people who like things the way they are. Jesus' message of promise and warning of blessing and curse rang with echoes of the Hebrew prophets of old, And he knew that the reaction would be the same. Jesus enters the picture and the world was operating one way. And he wants to turn it upside down so that those of us who have much share much. For those of us that have been gifted with gifts to give them away. And as we follow the words, the works and the ways of Jesus... We have been warned about who we are being formed into. We're being formed into people who care more about others than about our own well-being. Jesus and the other disciples showed as much by the way that they died and by the way that they lived. So the question for us now, and I'd love to invite the band up on stage. The question for us to consider now is, who is Jesus forming you and me to become? More importantly for you, who is Jesus forming you to become? What is your experience, your life, the things that you have? What is the purpose that he has put in your heart to do? And if it ends in others being blessed, if it ends in the rich, in the poor getting enriched and the hungry getting fed, then it is part of God's glorious design for your life. But if God's purpose for your life is for you to have more, get more, then unfortunately Jesus says, hmm, That may not actually be what I'm on about right now. 
So, who is Jesus forming you to become? When I spent hours out on the cricket pitch, or not on the pitch, I wish I'd be great spending it all out in the batting, um, but when I spent it out on the field, I remember one country week, and um, I just was, I was the worst team there. So country week, Kalgoorlie, came up to Perth, got to play all the other, and that's when you discover how good everyone else is and how bad you are. Anyway, I was doing fine leg to fine leg. If you don't know what that means, in your sport, whatever the worst job is while still playing, it's that. <laughs> and I'm there, and I'm running fine leg to fine leg, fine leg to fine leg, not really getting much of the action. And I just remember thinking to myself, why am I out here? What is my purpose? What am I meant to be doing down here? Just fill a space on the team. And then I got a catch, a very important catch of someone who was about to get 100. And the guy flicked it down to find leg and I'm in a daydreamy mode and suddenly everyone's yelling at me. I'm like, hello. Ah. <laughs> I ran out, I caught it and I got him out. And in that moment, and this was like day four of day five of being fine leg to find leg anyway. In that moment, everyone got around me and celebrated and, and I knew that's why I was there. I was there for that catch. That was my team, my reason for being there for the team. When you and I discover why Jesus has put us on this earth, when he fills us with that knowledge and we're able to act out of it, I believe you'll find the most amazing peace you'll ever find because you'll go, this is why I was created whether it's to be a good husband or a good wife to some loving kids, whether it's to be a great family member to someone who's hurting, whether it's to be an aunt or an uncle, whether it's to be a grandparent, whether it's to be a co-worker that sits with a co-worker in grief, whatever it is that God has made you for, whether it's someone who's just able to love other people well and sit with them or to stand up for injustice and speak for those who can't. When you discover the reason God has put you on earth, you'll be filled with peace. Not ease, peace. Because once you discover what you're good at, you'll probably go, this is going to be hard. But you know Jesus is with you. The Holy Spirit has empowered you. And God has called you for such a time as this.